Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. The disciples are just completely in disbelief. They they can't believe what they're witnessing and what they're seeing. The crowd is starting to get bigger and bigger. It's forming. And they're wanting, see, all the crowd, everyone in the crowd wants to do, they want to see the same thing. They're wanting to see Jesus. Because, you see, they have heard, this crowd has heard, that this guy named Jesus can perform miracles. And he's been showing the signs of the Messiah. They want to be there for that. They want to see that. But the disciples were getting concerned. They were concerned that a crowd that large will start to get hungry a certain time of the day. And so they were suggesting that maybe we should be sending everyone home. Let's send the crowd home so that they can get something to eat, Jesus. But you see, Jesus didn't want to send them home. He didn't want to send them away. And so Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, go buy some bread so that these people can eat. Well, we don't have enough money, Jesus. Philip said eight months wages wouldn't be enough to feed this crowd. There's too many of them. We don't have enough money. And so then here, they look out to the crowd and it keeps getting bigger and bigger And by the end of the day, the scripture says that a crowd of about 5,000 had gathered. And so Jesus looks to his disciples, and Andrew, oh, faithful Andrew, spoke up. And he said, Jesus, I did find in the crowd there was a boy, a young little boy that had with him five loaves and two fishes. Now, it's not enough to feed the crowd, but... It's all I could find. And so Jesus then takes the bread from the little boy and he holds it in his hand. And then, thanking the young boy, he looks to his disciples. He then looks out to the great crowd with this amount of bread in his hand. And then what he does is that he first gives thanks. He took the bread and gave thanks. Now, most likely, being that Jesus was a very good Jewish boy growing up, is that most likely he recited the Hamatzi when he gave thanks on this particular day. That he would have held this bread in his hand and he would have said before the crowd, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe. Who brings forth bread from the earth? And then, according to scripture, the bread multiplied. It became more than what it was. And so here, 
he gives all this bread over to the disciples and he tells them to start passing it out. And the disciples, they can't believe, they can't understand. It, nothing about this is logical. None of the, you, I say that prayer all the time, Jude, but I don't, my bread doesn't multiply. And so they witnessed this bread of multiplication coming together, but then he wasn't done. Then Jesus looks over to the little boy and he says, do you still have the fish? And here, take the fish, take it all. And so now Jesus takes the fish and then again, giving thanks before the entire crowd, most likely reciting the Sheku, which is a prayer traditionally used for meats when you're giving thanks to God. And so he holds the fish up and says, blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, at whose word all came into being. And then the scripture says, the fish multiplied. It grew. There was more than when he started. And so now Jesus hands the fish and the bread over to his disciples and he says, pass them all out. I want everybody in this crowd to eat today for they're at the table of my father. And he hands it out and he says, go and make sure no one's left out. And, they just, and that's exactly, they just go out, they give it out, they give it out. And then he says to his disciples that once everyone has eaten, once everybody has had their fill, they're not hungry anymore. Then go out and bring me back the leftovers. Leftovers? Jesus, do you see the size of this crowd? Bring me back the love after they've been filled. Bring back the leftovers. And so the disciples did just that. And the scripture says that once everybody was satisfied, once everyone was filled, the disciples went and gathered the leftovers and brought back 12 baskets of food left over. You see, after this, after this moment, the disciples started seeing Jesus not only I think they understood this at this point in time, but not only as the son of the God who provides, but now as the God who always has leftovers for his people. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the time of opening your word, spending this, specifically this moment in, our, in our, our service so that you can speak to us, that your word, your gospel truth can be, be delivered to your people. Father, I pray that if there's anything I say that isn't truth, that isn't the gospel, then Father, correct me on this platform now. Father, only your name to be worshiped and praised, the name of Jesus Christ, only that name. And that Father... I pray here that you speak to your people so that when we walk away today, we know what it is to serve the Lord. And I pray specifically for the hearts of those who may not know you, that they lean in and experience you for the very first time. So Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Yes, okay, you're awake. That was a test. That's good. All right, sometimes you think it's rhetorical, but it wasn't, so you did good. Yes, 
And let me start off by saying to all of you, Happy Thanksgiving. Yes. How do you say that in Spanish? What is it? What she said. How do you say it in Korean? Yep, that's what, that's what I thought. Yeah, you did it right. Yeah. Well, I do want to say here up front that a particular welcome to our Hispanic and our Korean brothers and sisters that we know, we, never, we know that you have your worship together every Sunday morning, but these days we really, really love having you with us. And so a special welcome to all of our Korean and Hispanic brothers and sisters. We are, we have, I've been excited so far to hear your language be a part of our gathering and our worship today. So God bless you all. And then from my personal heart, I want to say a very special welcome to my mother who came into town. Yes, yeah, so, so mom is back. Now she goes by mom in my house. Uh, her name is Sue, but mom is back for uh, the Christmas season to, to play grandma while we do kettles and everything else. Um, and actually, speaking of kettles, we started that on Friday. Have you been out ringing the bell? Now I'm going to tell you, this captain's heart is filled with joy because three of our bell ringers are in this room today, and I welcome you, and God bless you. We're so happy that you're out there ringing that bell and bringing the Christmas spirit, but I'm very excited that you're here worshiping with us today. And so now, I'm going to tell you that I'm very much looking forward to after service today, and the reason why is because we are going to eat See, it's hard to sit here and think, you know, about Thanksgiving and not think about sharing a meal with your family. I mean, that, that's kind of what the whole gig is about, right? You, build, you have your turkey, you have all these other things, and then you share a meal with your family. And today we're going to do just that right after service for the first time since, the, since I've been here. Since I've been here. And so we're going to have that right after, and I cannot wait. But I'm going to tell you that giving thanks, this act of giving thanks is a practice that is embedded in the Christian faith. It's a part of our identity. It's a part of who we are as believers. Or at least I should say it should be a part of who we are as believers. You see, the act of actually giving thanks or living in a spirit of gratitude is actually a part of our spiritual journey and maturity in Christ is living in a spirit of gratitude and giving thanks. This is who we are. In fact, we see it throughout the entire scripture, story after story from beginning to end. We see that these powerful scripture stories are bathed and covered in gratitude and a thankful spirit. We see it when Daniel he chooses to continue to pray even after it was made illegal to do so within that land. That every day he fell to his knees to give thanks to the Lord. And because of his spirit of gratitude, of his obedience to God himself, not only is the nation of Babylon, but the nation of Israel is blessed because the mouths of the lions were shut. And then we see again that Jonah stuck in the belly of a fish that he falls to his knees and gives thanks and gratitude for who he was running away from his call. But then he fell to his knee in a spirit of gratitude. Oh, Lord, our God, thank you. And then the mouth of the fish opens. 
and he was spit out to fulfill his calling. We see it in Hannah. Oh, dear Hannah, who was barren without child, who went over to the, temp- to, the, uh, to the temple there and said, Lord, if you would only give me a child, I will give him back to you. And then the scripture says that that's exactly what happened. And she kept her promise, and in a spirit of thanksgiving, she actually gave her child back to the kingdom, back to the temple, so that he could be raised in the ways of the Lord. And because of her obedience, Israel got her first prophet. And so here, the scripture is bathed in gratitude, is bathed in thanksgiving, and the act of doing so. In fact, what I see is that oftentimes when we are actually living in thanksgiving, not only are we blessed, but the people that are around us, that we are in touch with, are blessed as well. And we even see it, yes, we even see it with the Apostle Paul in Acts 27. Now, when you read this scripture, you go, all right, Captain, that's, where are you going with that one? Acts 27, we see gratitude and thanksgiving even in this unique story. You see, by this time, and it's been read in three different languages for us today, and thank you for doing that. But what we see, the content, where we pick up with this story is that Paul, the Apostle Paul, is actually facing some legal issues. He's actually going to court. That's what he's doing. He's faced some legal issues. He's running to the Jewish law a little bit. And so now he's got to go into court and go on trial. And the high priest of the Sanhedrin, he actually, right there in Jerusalem, is bringing charges against the Apostle Paul. And the charges that he's bringing against him, he is actually accusing Paul, he's accusing him of causing riots. This is what he said, that Paul is causing riots in the streets. In fact, he even said that this Paul here, is, he's, a, he's a new leader of a, of a religious zealot sect called Christians. And he brought those charges against him. And then he even said that Paul is desecrating the temple with his actions. Now what we know is that most of these charges that the high priest was bringing against Paul were not true except for the one fact that Paul gladly spent his life bringing others to Jesus Christ. And in fact, in that same scripture, in his legal dispute, Paul stood against the high priest and said, well, most of these things aren't true, but I will stand on the one that I am bringing those to Christ. And in fact, it's not a religious zealot sect, as you say, high priest, but it is the way. For he is the truth and the life. And so what's happened now at the beginning of 27 is that Paul is in a unique position. He is of Roman birth. And the Jewish Sanhedrin would like to to go ahead and rule charges against Paul. But because of his Roman citizenship, this is where he gets to stand and say, I declare that I'm a Roman. Which means... You don't get to put me in judgment. I get to go to Rome and stand before Caesar, who will be my judge. And Paul executes this this right of his. And so now, at 27, we see that Paul is being placed on a boat. 
It was ordered that Paul be sent to Rome to await his trial with Caesar. And the scripture says, particularly here, that this trip was going to be taken by a ship. That that was the quickest way to Rome from where he was. And that on the ship, there were going to be other Romans, other prisoners, and that there were actually going to be probably a little bit of a commercial thing where other folks were just, who were getting to Rome are going to jump on the boat and go with them. And so it says that there were about 276 people on this boat that were traveling to Rome. Now, it was believed that when this trip was to begin, to start, it was believed that it was the month of November. Well, that's a coincidence. In November, it's a little chilly, I would think, maybe, and they're going to get on this boat and they're going to head toward Rome. I'm going to tell you that this was an extremely unusual time to be doing this, even then. The Jewish practice was that they would never set sail on the sea after the month of October. In fact, they only sailed during May through October. That was the only time they would even put a boat in the, in the sea to do it. And then the Romans' common practice, when they were on the sea, is that they would not set sail over past September 15th. That was the day, that was their cutoff day. September 15th, no Roman vessels in the sea. And the reason why is because it was extremely unpredictable weather during the winter. And so the boat, they, they could not guarantee the safe passage of those who were traveling. So that was their cutoff time. But here, Julius, the Roman centurion who's responsible for Paul, decides to move forward and sail instead of waiting for the safe season. Perhaps he's just tired of Paul. I want to get you off my back. Listen, you're chained to me until I get you to Rome, and I need to get you here. So we're going to get on the boat, and we're going to set sail regardless. And the scripture says here that once Paul had heard that they're actually going to move forward and travel by boat to Rome, he actually kind of, kind of stood to his, his ground and said, listen, uh, Julius, we need to have a conversation. Uh, uh, gentlemen, if we sell now, he says, our trip will be disastrous. He says, I fear that the ship and its cargo will be at a great loss if we do, if we do this thing now. Not to mention, O Roman guard, our, and your life could be at risk by taking this trip. And so despite all of the warnings, despite Paul giving his feedback, they decide to move forward and sail to the city of Phoenix. And it was here that the Roman guard said, once we get to Phoenix, we'll winter in there. But let's just get, let's get out of here. Let's just at least get there. Any husbands that have done that before? Where you're just like, it's like pouring down rain or it's snowing outside. And you're like, listen, if we can do, let's just get to here and then we'll stop but what happens is that we're stuck on the side of the road in a ditch. You laugh because you know, you know what's happened. And so here, here, this is kind of what the same scenario is that let's just get to Phoenix and we'll stop for winter there. That's where we'll, that's where we'll harbor in for the winter. Now, they do exactly that. They set sail. They leave Caesarea. They, they get everyone on the boat. But no surprise about halfway to the city of Phoenix, there in the sea, the scripture says that a hurricane-like storm came across them all and actually pushed their boat 
further and further into the sea. The actual crew were not strong enough to fight against the winds. And so they were, I mean, just hour after hour trying to fight against the wind, fight against everything, the waves, everything that was pushing them around, and they just couldn't do it. And so their strength grew weak, and they had to just naturally fall in to where the wind and the waves were pushing them. And it was further and further off course. And here, in fact, the decision was made that the storm was so bad that the decision was made that all the cargo that they were bringing with them had to be thrown overboard to lighten the load. It was too heavy. And so they started throwing all the cargo overboard, just left and right. And the storm didn't stop. <clears throat> the scripture says they just kept going. It lasted for days, not hours, days Day after day, this storm beat against the, the boat, beat against the ship. Left The crew is giving everything they have just to keep it from falling apart. They're throwing the next thing. We can't throw much left over, but they're doing it. Any, they're just throwing it all over anyway. And of course, at least the way I read the Apostle Paul from time to time, it would be in Paul's true fashion to stand up among the chaos. And he actually says, you should have taken my advice. Here we are. He says, you should have taken my advice. And we shouldn't have set sail to begin with. But then he says, but now that we're here, now that we're in the storm, now that we're surrounded by the waves, we're surrounded by the wind, that now that it is happening, I urge you to keep your courage. Keep your courage. Don't give up. And then he tells the entire boat that an angel of the God that I serve, the one that I'm in these shackles for, came to me last night. And he told me that I have to get to Rome to stand trial before Caesar. And that same angel told me that anyone who's on this boat will not die. And I believe this because the God that I serve can do just that. And so the crew started to keep pushing against the wind, pushing against the wave. Keep going, men. Keep your courage. I know the storm is strong, but keep your faith. Keep going. Keep going. And the scripture says that 14 days go by. Two weeks of the storm not letting up. And it says it was midnight on the 14th day that the crew saw something out in the distance, that they could see it just out there, just a little bit further out. It was land. It was land. They can almost, they can, they, they, they can, they can feel, they can see, they, it, there it is, there it's land. And so quick, take the measurements. And so the crew starts to go out and they measure how deep the ocean is. And it says it was 120 feet, and then it was 100 feet, and then 90 feet. That means they're getting closer and closer to land. And then the order was given to drop the anchor. We don't want to get too close. We don't want to be straight. So they said drop the anchor. And then here, what we see next, the very next thing in the scripture is that we see the fear of the crew coming out. The fear of the crew is being displayed right here. You see, they're tired. They're scared. They've been through it all. They, they don't, they, there's, there's nothing left to give. There's nothing left to give. 
And what we see in scripture is that they just wanted to get off the boat. And so when the order was to drop the anchor, what they did instead in secret is they went and pretended the anchor was over here and they dropped a lifeboat. And they were dropping the lifeboat and they were hoping to jump in because their plan was to actually get the boat on the ground and just leave everything behind. I don't care if you survive, if you live or die, but I'm getting on this lifeboat and I'm getting out of here. And so they started to lower the, we're dropping the anchor. Come on, guys, let's get out of here. And they're dropping the, the lifeboat. And then what we see is that the Apostle Paul actually catches them in the act. He actually sees that the boat is dropping over here. And so he rushes to the Roman centurion and Paul actually says that you need to stop the men. Stop, they're dropping a lifeboat now. And the reason why Paul was so urgent about this is that he told the Roman guard, he says, if they get in the boat and they go out into the sea, I can't guarantee their safety before the promise that God gave was that those on this boat will not die. Stop them. It wasn't that he was, he was saying, look at these cowards running away from their post. It was, I'm trying to save their life. Please don't let them go. Bring them back on this boat. And so the Roman guard went over there with his knife and sliced the rope and the boat fell empty and it just drifted off into sea. He wanted to keep everyone on that boat because that was the promise. This was the promise. And then here, and this is the truth, that this is just a reminder that when we see oftentimes like this is that, that life itself will be filled with temptations to use different methods than what God has commanded us to do. A different way than what God has instructed us to serve or to do or to act. But I'm here to tell you today is that God's way is always the best way for us. It's always the best way. But how can that be? It makes sense to actually jump on the lifeboat and to get rid and get, get out of that broken down ship. That makes sense to jump on that. And, that. and perhaps it does to our earthly eyes and ears and souls. It does. But the hardest part, I'm going to tell you today, that the hardest part about following Jesus is that his ways often requires faith that the world does not require. The world doesn't require our faith. They just want us to do the act. Just do it. That doesn't make sense, so ignore it. But following Jesus requires our faith. To believe that his way is best. And so here, Paul gathers all the men now on this boat. And he tells them that they need to eat. Now I like where this is going. Because I know that's what you're thinking to Captain right now. We need to eat, Captain. But he gathers all the men, everyone on the boat, and he says, we, we need to eat. We need to regain our strength. You, you all haven't eaten in 14 days, he says. You've been giving everything you have to the storm. You've been leaving it all right there on the line. You've been in constant fear and worry and you haven't eaten. You've neglected yourself. And then he reminds them that the storm, this storm will not kill us. My God has assured us of that. And so then, right there before the weary crew, the ones who have nothing left, 
the ones who are weak, who are scared, who are filled with fear before the, before the Roman guard, before it all. Paul grabs the what little ration of bread was left on the boat and he picks it up with his hands. And then before the Roman guards, the crew and the other passengers, Paul takes this little bit of bread and he prays a prayer that is foreign to the Roman ears on board. But it's a prayer that was once said at another gathering that fed the hungry. On the chaos and the storm and the, and the, and the lightning and the thunder and the waves of it all, he said, blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And then the scripture says that Paul broke the bread and he started to pass it out to the crew that were on the boat and to the Roman guards and to all the other passengers. And it just kept getting more. Despite the fact that all the cargo had been thrown overboard, it says here that the bread did not run out. That every single person on this boat ate until they were satisfied, until their strength was regained, until they were fully and well in their own spiritual and physical life, that they ate and that they ate. And that here, in this moment, we see again, as the scripture says, that there were leftovers from the crew on the boat. And then when daylight came, The storm had cleared. The clouds were gone, and land was right before them. And if we were to keep reading, we would see that each of them got off that ship and safely to the island, with no one dying. Now, why do I share this story with you on Thanksgiving Sunday? Why this one? What does this have to do with being thankful? Now, being, on a, being in a 14-day storm sounds pretty miserable. I don't know about you. And, I'm, and I would probably say that that crew was pretty thankful once that was done. But I want to tell you this. that this, Yes, this story is indeed a story of God's promises. No question about that. His promise that no life would be lost to the storm. His promise that Paul will make it all the way to Rome that these promises held true, that they came to be. We see that. However, this is also a story of gratitude, of thanksgiving, of thankfulness. That while the storm, while it was pushing the boat back and forth, while the crew was tired, had nothing left to give, that when, when uncertainty was clouding their minds, when darkness seemed to completely surround all the vision and the boat itself, I can't see past the dark. That's all I can see. That in that moment is when Paul gathered everyone on the boat to do one thing. Give thanks. Give thanks. Blessed are you, Lord our God ruler of the universe who brings forth bread from the earth. Eat. It's a story of giving thanks during the storm.
in the storm. What storm are you in? What is pushing you back and forth? Right now, what is giving you uncertainty? What is surrounding your heart, your mind, your family? What darkness is covering you? We all know. We all know that God is a God of promises. But I also know that it's hard to lean on his promises when we're just floating at sea with no sight of land, surrounded by darkness. Now, I don't know who this is for this morning, who is drifting at sea in the darkness, even as I speak now. But if that is you, that if you are lost at sea, I want you to know that he sees you. He knows you. He hears you. I know it's hard. But in your darkest moments, in your loneliest moments, he sees you better than any of us could ever do so. But you don't know what I'm going through, Captain. You're right. He does. He knows. So even if you think you're not strong enough, I want you to stand like Paul did and give thanks. I have nothing to be thankful for, Captain. I know. But I want you to stand to your feet and give thanks, even in the midst and when we can't find what it is we're thankful for. Because that type of spirit, that type of living, that type of thing will penetrate the darkness. It will separate it. Blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. The altars are open. And if you want to respond, if you're tired of floating at sea, if you're surrounded by darkness and you're done, then I want you to come and I want you to pray. I want you to, to be with him. Meet the true Jesus Christ. I cannot save you, but I know the anchor that can. Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.